Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview again a group of experts in mental health, stress management, and biofeedback. So first we have Alexi Pianozzi, the strength and conditioning coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins, a top NHL team. So welcome back, Alexi. Thanks for having me, Julian. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you, Alexi. And then we have uh, Len Zajkowski, uh, also known as Doc Z. Uh, he's an expert in biofeedback. Uh, he works for uh, a number of teams, uh, including the Vancouver Canuck, the Penguins, Real Madrid, uh, as well as the national Spanish soccer teams. Uh, he's also a retired professor from the Boston University and a performance consultant. So uh, welcome back, Len, as well. Thanks for having me back on, Julian. Great. Thank you, Len. And then we have Karam Alamdani, the head athletic therapist for the CF Montreal, a top uh, MLS team. So welcome back, Karam. Thank you very much for having me, Julian. Thank you, Karam. So hey, guys, so what I want to cover today is First, we'll talk about what is stress management, mental health, and uh, biofeedback. And then we'll talk about the best tool that you guys have used in those areas. And then I'd love to get your feedback on whether or not biofeedback or stress management is a common practice in the world of elite sports. And then uh, lastly, I'd love to get your thoughts on where you see the space evolving, right? From a technology perspective, or whether or not they'll be hiring more uh, biofeedback experts in the future. So how does it sound? Sounds good, yes. Great. So, hey, the first, great. so, hey, the first question is, uh, what is your definition of stress management mental health? And what are the best tools that you guys have used and come across and why? Anybody wants to start? Okay, I, 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 let, me, let me start with what the whole that big field of stress management is and how that leads into mental health. And then the methods that we use for uh, helping reduce uh, huge stress and of course in, in high performance sport there's stresses everywhere both for, for, from a performance standpoint you know family and friends and management and contracts all that stress is all over the place but yeah. we have to learn how to combat it and that's the thing and that that you know and, and if i could in, talk about what mental health is in that same in that same vein uh, you know it, it's on a continuum mental health from um, you know, mental health that's weak with individuals and uh, they've got mental health issues to individuals who have what I might call superior mental health. So it goes along a continuum and it goes back and it can go back and forth. Uh, and ideally, I've learned over the years in working in high performance sport, most athletes are at the high end. You know, they're physically, they're, they're outstanding. And cognitively, they're pretty much outstanding also. But we do have breakdowns. And that's where mm -hmm. uh, they need the, the specialty of dealing with mental health issues. So guess what I'm saying here, Julian, is that the stress is kind of the precursor to uh, 
mental health that's dysfunctional, uh, particularly for high-end athletes. So we want to minimize that. And, and it's getting that right balance uh, between the parasympathetic nervous system and, and the sympathetic nervous system. And so that's where biofeedics is going to come, come in. And I'll talk about that a little later. But that's, yeah. how, I, that's how I envision where stress fits into, into the whole field of mental health. And what I'm calling today, I, I like the term cognitive uh, uh, fitness. Like physical, we have physical fitness that you guys work in. Uh, I like to call this mental health field more cognitive fitness. And we're, we've got some wonderful studies going on between here and Australia trying to to uh, develop that that concept. And, and and you mentioned the the mental breakdown, right, of athletes. So uh, that comes for me comes to mind is what happened to Naomi Osaka, Marty Fish. Yes. Uh, when they had lots of stress, they couldn't even get on the field. I mean, it was just really bad, right? Well, it's so very, that's what you're very, very debilitating. Absolutely, yeah. So it's and and uh, you know, and then we hear these extreme cases that you know, the, the extreme end of it is people taking their own lives, suicide. Yeah, that's right. And so so it's a serious issue. Yep. Uh, thank you, uh, Len. So anybody else, Karam, Alexi, what is your definition of that? Uh, I'll go ahead. I I just want to start off by saying, Doctor Z. Uh, just put it beautifully in in a i mean you can you can totally see that he's a professor you know uh, he just and how he expresses himself and how he he talks about the, the these definitions of these different scopes i mean there's there's no better way to sort of you know put it into words so uh, i i echo all of his his comments um but i i also believe that this topic is still at its beginning beginning phases, I feel like there are a lot of teams out there that are not um, exercising the you know the full potential of what you know all this stuff can bring to an organization, uh, and I think that it's because of this stigma that's associated yes. with it, which which really sucks. Uh, but you know, it's. It, it, it's I, I I think it's our jobs, so my job as a head athletic uh, trainer, um, as well as um, you know the strength coaches' uh, jobs to sort of hack away at that stigma and start coaching and educating these players that it's okay to be stressed. It's okay to go through periods of up down up down and recognizing these periods and recognizing. That yeah, it's okay to be in a in a down period because what goes down has to come back up and vice versa. And and what's also important is to coach them on not having valleys in between the ups and the downs and trying to maintain this, you know, speed bumps. Sure. So, to speak. so that's what I have to say about it. Okay, Karen, and, and, I have a question for you. In, in, in Montreal, do you have a, somebody who is a specialist or somebody come in and help with the, the more mental and cognitive dimensions? Um, absolutely. So we, we have, uh, I want to say, recently um, hired a sports uh, psychologist. Uh, this uh, has happened fairly recently, I want to say, in the last... Um, four or five months that we have hired a, 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 
a, a sports psychologist. And what's what's interesting with him is he actually played at the the, the professional level. Uh, he played professional football, and then uh, through that was also able to you know get his schooling done. So he did a degree in kinesiology to start off with, and then topped it off with a master's in sports psychology. So is he a psychologist? whereby he can sit sit with the player and sort of have him lie down on a couch and, and talk about these things? Uh, no, but can he help with uh, different avenues to enhance performance? Can he help um, facilitate communication between the coaching staff and the players? That's sort of where he's he's coming in and we're working on some sort of continuum to allow him to excel in that domain, which is, again, like I said, very, very small in our uh, organization, but we aim to make it work. But but he's got credibility with the players and coaches because he's a former player himself. Correct. That, that's important. Correct, yeah. correct. And, and Karam, before we uh, I let Alexi cover the topic, but would you say in the MLS is pretty common to have a biofeedback expert slash sports psychologist or no? It's not very common. Uh, it, it, I want to say that in the last uh, in the last couple of years, it really took off, and okay. and and it's it's unfortunate that I have to say this, but mm -hmm. the biggest biggest uh, sort of um, catalyst to create this boom was COVID, oh, really? because yeah, because you had uh, players in quarantine for days and days and days you know one two three days you're at home you're twiddling your thumbs you do your workout okay but then once you're getting to like the nine day ten days like some of these guys were like pulling their hair mm -hmm. and just yeah. didn't know what to do with themselves because they're so used to being on the field on the pitch playing being in uh, you know in a locker room setting with all of their between brackets friends so it's just they, they go nuts they go crazy you know so that's really what was the the big catalyst that has created a movement with biofeedback yeah, you're absolutely right that, that's a great point you make around that's a great point you make because you know that, that was the catalyst that got it going there there were other things that happened but this this was really like you say driving people nuts and we needed some help professional help yeah yeah, it makes sense. Uh, hey, Alexi, what is your take on stress management, mental health, biofeedback, etc.? Yeah, I, I mean, I think both, you know, both Len um, and Karem spoke really well about it. And I think kind of different perspectives, like you said, uh, you know, Doc D with his wealth of experience and then Karem kind of still in the trenches right now. I think it exists, like Doc Z said, across a very long continuum. You know, there's the, there's the clinical side and the mental health side that can I can end very tragically that Doc Lee alluded to. And, you know, that's certainly outside of my scope of practice and something that, you know, needs to be referred on to the to the appropriate professionals. But then as Doc Lee also alluded to, the the ups and downs of playing professional sports comes with it a lot of stress. And us as practitioners, whether it's therapist or strength coach, uh, you know, I think we're we're there to assist with that process and help players handle adversity and help players handle good games and bad games when the coach is happy or unhappy. And I think helping them train that mental resiliency or that mental system or the mental fitness is like as Doxy likes to call it i think is somewhere we can be very impactful um but I, I i kind of differentiate that sort of mental performance a little bit from 
mental health. And, you know, while I think we can be a great outlet for players to come into the gym or come into the medical room and relax and vent and calm down, and that might help their mental health. Um, certainly, uh, as Doug D said, it exists on a continuum and our, you know, approach to mental health and our mental performance is, is just but a small factor in, uh, you know, what makes up each athlete's sort of global mental health. Um, and then as it specifically relates to biofeedback, I think it's, it's still developing. I think it has tremendous potential and tremendous power. I've, I've found it much easier to implement or tackle in an individual setting with, you know, one player that you might have for an extended period of time. Maybe it's a longer return to play scenario. Maybe it's an off season project, something like that, where you can converse with them a little bit more, a little bit more feedback after each session, during each session, honing in the practices, maybe the amount of time, the technique, the device, things like that. Much more difficult on a, on a larger, more global scale, at least in my opinion. So I think if you can maybe start granular and, and find one player as two players, maybe you can build up some steam and then trickle it into a larger effect with the team. But uh, I've definitely found more success personally in smaller individual settings than the larger team setting. It's harder to set up as a, as a group. It's part of a team, you mean? Yes, exactly. Like a, like a large, you know, if you want to impact a hockey team of 25 players or a you know, basketball team of 15 or something along those lines kind of thing. Yeah, make, that makes sense. Thank you, Alexey. And then, so, uh, then, and, and Karam, what is your definition of biofeedback, right? And one thing I'd love to hear from you guys as well, everybody, what are the best tools that you guys have used and why do you think these are the best tools that you use? Well, then, since I've spent most of my life working in that field, I got into the biofeedback field when I got when I was first got to Boston University, and that field was just emerging. And, and many of you guys in, in the therapy world started with EMG and the great John Basmagian, who developed single motor unit training, and he basically showed people how you could train single motor unit units and, and muscle if you got gave them feedback, and that was kind of first step in development of this field called biofeedback, which ultimately led into to stress and stress management. Uh, but there are other modalities, heart rate, and then more recently, heart, the evolution of heart rate variability, uh, respiration rate, teaching people how to, how to, how to breathe properly. Uh, skin conductance was the other one, where uh, you know, sweat response. And, uh, and then more recently, the, the neural system or the brain, which is sometimes not called biofeedback, it's called neurofeedback. It's the same, same darn stuff. So these modalities needed uh, technology. And, I, and I'm talking, when I started in this business, it was in the early 70s, and I wanted to bring it to sport because I saw the world of sport full of stress and it need, needed technological support to help athletes manage it and coaches manage it. But the equipment back in those days, the size of my office, you know, and expensive. And now we've gone to the point of miniature stuff. That fantastic evolution in that field. So um, that, so get, just if I could just summarize the, what is biofeedback, it's uh, putting sensors on the uh, human body that uh, allows us to pick up muscle information, sweat response, temperature response, uh, neural responses. And then feed it back to the person. And if you get feedback, we know this much. If you get feedback on something and you get practice, you're going to get better at it. And so we, we've learned how to teach athletes 
and ordinary people to self-regulate their body's response. But you can't master that unless you get some kind of feedback. So that's how I define biofeedback, although it certainly has grown beyond that. So, uh, Karam, you may want to expand upon that based on your experiences, too. Uh, even if I wanted to, I can't because you've just covered it all <laughs> from A to Z. The only thing that I can expand on, to be honest with you, uh, is what what we're currently or what what I am currently pushing for because I've I've recognized it the true potential of it uh, and its heart rate variability uh, yes, yes. As, as a form of biofeedback now there's there's not enough I, I feel that there isn't enough research out there when when it comes to uh, professional sports and professional football um, per se um and that's one of the hurdles that i'm faced with uh, when justifying to my peers and also to the um uh, stakeholders why we need to invest money in this type of biofeedback and the best way that I can do so is try to find a way to correlate heart rate variability with injury incidents and the increase or decrease of injury incidents based on that type of biofeedback. But I'm still at the starting stages of it. I'm still trying to well, sure. wrap my head around it, even though I've had an aura ring for the last two years. <laughs> I'm still studying it myself, you know. And I and I cannot say that I I'm an expert in it, nor can I say that I understand it fully, because there are so many different variables that will play with your heart rate variability, you know. And, and so, for me to be able to tell my stakeholders there's a cause and effect, a direct cause and effect, it is impossible, yeah. you know. So I'm still I'm still I'm still at the beginning phases of working on this this project. Uh, obviously, testing it on myself is is ultimately the best plan. And then uh, slowly, I've been looking at other ways, uh, other cost-effective ways where I could I could spend a little bit of money and trial it on some some players that are willing to, you know, jump on those trials. And then obviously, I, I, I the sample size is very small. But it, it serves as a, a good sort of piece of information that I could sort of go, hey, guys, look, I here's, the, here's the data. I know that the sample size is small, but at least it's players from within our organization that you know of. You know? So that's where I'm at with, with yeah. biofeedback and specifically HRD. Yeah. Alexa, you may have some good stories to give from, from the Penguins organization. Yeah, we've um, we've used HRV for a number of years now, and uh, got to give a lot of credit to my, you know, one of my predecessors, Andy O'Brien, for kind of kickstarting that process in uh, in Pittsburgh. But you know, we've we've found it to be a very good bridge between sort of the sports science performance department and our coaching staff. You know, they always want to know how are the players doing, are they recovered, how are they feeling, and the HRV actually was a number that they were able to grasp. 
and and connect with and that sort of helped with a little bit of practice planning that helps a little bit of returning from the west coast trips to the east coast things of that nature but you know i think i agree with karen that there's a lot of different factors that go into that number uh you know if you're using the rmssd and you know the the consistency of the measurement when you do it the position they're in you know so many different things can play into it so we actually looked at it a little bit less from an individual perspective and more from a team perspective and that if we can get you know 25 you know 25 26 27 player numbers at an hrv collection the morning of a practice following a game then a little bit of the variability in the data might uh, might smoothen out and might give us a sense of where the team's at rather than each player individually i think if you want to get each player individually and make individual recommendations you really need to get um, you know, closer to that gold standard measurement first thing upon waking up, whether it's, you know, from your aura ring or uh, sleep aid or, or whatever it might be, a, a hurry monitor, a chest strap, if you're really intense and into it. Um, but we have found a lot of value with HRV, at least in our team setting. And I think, you know, that's kind of, that was coming through around the same time as, uh, you know, the research on acute to chronic workload was, was picking up steam. You're starting to see kind of the delays and well, we actually feel pretty good when we come off of that road trip, but you know, two, three, four days later, when we've kind of been fighting a little bit of maybe sympathetic dominance longer than we wish we could have, and we needed to empower that parasympathetic side a little bit, that's when we started to see a little bit more residual fatigue in our team. And now our coaching staff has kind of baked that into their schedule automatically. And they don't really need us to tell them, you know, um, there might be one or two times throughout the year when we pick up on something that they didn't already plan for or were prepared for. But um, I think that's, again, you know, credit to the people that came before me and sort of establishing a really good system in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Thanks, Alexa. That's good. That's good. Yeah. That's great feedback. Yeah. So which kind of leads to my my next question is, you know, do you guys think that biofeedback stress management has become a common practice in the world of esports? For example, when you go and talk to a GM, uh, whether it's the MLS or the NHL, do they understand what biofeedback is, you think? And my, I, guess, well, I, I think uh, very few really fully understand it. It, it, it. it is always a process of education, educating coaches and players what it is, what the value will be. It's not an academic exercise. We're not in a university or graduate school. This is a, a professional team, and we're trying to help them be better as players. We're trying to help the coaches be better as coaches and, and the sports medicine staff to how we can kind of join forces and uh, uh, upgrade performance. Uh, but so I think there's always going to be uh, uh, work uh, uh, in process. You know, I can just briefly explain that back in 2010 and 11, I developed kind of my own lab, kind of a lab in, in a professional sport environment with the Canucks, uh, where I did biofeedback, but it was primarily for training recovery. And and primarily around HRV, resp training resp respiration and training heart rate regulation. Uh, and uh, but the biggest one I helped on was uh, my good friend in in Europe, Walter De Salvo, who was uh, at Real Madrid when I first met yeah. him. And then he went over to to uh, Qatar and was there uh, as their football sports scientist. And they developed an incredible facility that was. We didn't call it biofeedback. It was kind of psychophysiology, which is the same thing—a little fancier word. That word, but it was a, a, a an optimal training station where they learned kind of in to, to self-regulate 
their biological processes to to get parasympathetic and sympathetic systems in in, reg, in, in regulation, and then they would take it from that environment uh, onto a small pitch, so that they could transfer that training to a small pitch, then ultimately to the big pitch. Can you manage mm -hmm. those stressors from what you learned in the lab to the small pitch to the big pitch? And it was a wonderful progression. Uh, but you know they had the money to do that. <laughs> Most sporting organizations don't have that kind of funding to do that. But that's the real world that I experienced where it can be done, but it, it can be expensive too. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Karam, Alexi, any, any feedback? I was gonna ask you actually in the, MS, in the MLS, how many MLS teams do you think are using biofeedback? And same question for the NHL. What would be your guess? 50%, 70%? Um, MLS, well, first to, to answer the first question, I, I, um, I echo uh, Dr. Leonard's uh, words. Uh, there's there's a, there's a uphill sort of road to, uh, to cross in education and uh, educating these uh, GMs, coaches, who themselves were former players in an era where none of this existed. So for them, it's like a new bell or a new whistle and you're trying to like, uh, trying to sort of suffocate them with all this this information. Some of them just can't handle too much too much information, you know? So mm -hmm. it's all educating them. Um, and then secondly, I, I don't think that the MLS is, uh, uh, I would say maybe 25% of the, the teams. 25%? 25%. Okay. That's, that, that's that. a rough guess, you know? Yeah, but that's reasonable. Simple, simple, simple uh, technology that gives them feedback that helps them, helps the athlete and helps the coach and the training staff better understand where an athlete is. Yeah, I would say that's probably true in, in most sports. Oh, you mean across the board 25%, you think? Is well, that reasonable? You, know, I, I, you know, I've had former students working all over in different kinds of sports, and yeah. uh, it, it's an up, you know, it, it, it's an uphill battle trying to bring in technology uh, and to demonstrate its efficacy. Uh, but uh, I, I think the, the 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 younger, sharper individuals they they see the benefit, and prices have really come down to the technology, mm -hmm. and, and so that's making that a little bit easier. They don't see it as a major investment anymore. Like for yeah. for example, I I know for a fact that uh, Orlando is using biofeedback. Yeah. LAFC yeah. is using biofeedback. If I were a guessing man, uh, just by the nature of who they're partnered up with, Seattle are for sure using biofeedback. Why uh, are you saying that? Why are you saying that? Well, just their their co their their coexistence with. I mean, Microsoft is based out of Seattle, right? So right. if if anything, they they should have some sort of a connection with, uh, you know, Microsoft and and technology should be something that's very very big in, uh, you know, the, the their neck of the woods, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I I would think that Vancouver is uh, big in yeah. in, the, yeah. in that. Um, so I like teams like, um, uh, I don't want to call out teams for like not mm -hmm. using it, but like, they'll uh, be I, listening to this, to this podcast, by the way, I'm just, huh? they will. Well, no, they will be listening to this, but you, you know, I think 
that's okay. I think it's fine. Ex well, <laughs> then they're gonna they're gonna be after me every time They'll they be come. To you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, those those are the and and the important thing to highlight here is the teams that I mentioned are teams that have big budgets. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so they they can afford to to say, hey, I'm gonna buy thirty aura rings. And uh, the, the platform that goes with it, that's like 40 grand right there per year, you know, and to, to give all the players, hey, here's your aura ring, you know. Um, so uh, there are other teams that don't necessarily have that same, you know, budget. budgets, exactly. Yeah. You know? But the low budget teams, Karim, you know, they can do things like apps on your uh, Android or Apple iPhone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you start that, most of the things are inexpensive or maybe even free, but you can teach uh, heart rate self regulation, uh, respiration self regulation. You don't need a you know, $1,000 piece of equipment. It's right on your phone. Yeah. Com completely. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple, like, for example, there's a couple of companies, one called Breathwork. They got picked up by the NBA Launchpad. Uh, they're getting some good traction. I mean, you can even use like an app like Calm, the Calm app. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's it's not that expensive, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of options. You can even use, I've seen a bunch of people using like those headsets, uh, using, uh, you know, sounds and breathing exercise and stuff like that. So there, there, there are options. That are um, inexpensive, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Uh, Alexi, do you want to comment on that before we get to the next question? Or? Yeah, I think it's uh, well similar to Karem. I, I, I'm not looking to put anybody else in the NHL or my coworkers, colleagues <laughs> on blast here, and uh, you know have some people unhappy to see me when I roll up to their arena. But um, I think it's difficult to say because, like, what is the you know what is using biofeedback? If it's just a player wearing an aura ring, okay, you know, there's probably almost Shell has at least one player wearing an aura. But are you are you actually using that data? Are you using it on a team-wide basis? Are you even using it with that one athlete in a consistent, productive way? Um, you know, we had probably five or six people using it. And, you know, if anything, it was more of a, you know, a starting point, a relationship builder. Let's talk about your data. Let's get you familiar with what is HRV? Why is it? What affects it? What did your sleep pattern look like? Okay, well, that's pretty cool. But, you know, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily... 100% accurate. Here's why it could differ a little bit. You know, here's what polysomnography is. And this is what if you don't, you're not going to go into a lab, but that's how you get the best measurements. And this is why it's a little bit different on an aura, you know, so I, I think it starts those conversations, but it doesn't necessarily always lead to, you know, manipulating somebody's training schedule or practice load or game load on a daily basis in response to their whoop bracelet or their aura ring or anything like that. So the number of people who are, you know, consistently using or implementing a biofeedback uh you know device or system is probably pretty low i would think i would say you know even less than 30 percent but you know the number of people who are experimenting with it and you know trying to learn more about it and trying to add it or to their current regime i think that's probably pretty high we're just still trying to figure out how to use that on a consistent constructed constructive basis especially with professional athletes who have 82 games, getting in at one or two in the morning, media engagement, coaches meetings, their families at home. Like they've got enough on their plate already that, you know, all right, let's sit down for 30 minutes every day and talk about your aura source. Like, you know, we, uh, it, it might not be the biggest, uh, you know, return of investment for us. 
uh, with every athlete. Some athletes, it could be very beneficial. So I think that kind of skews the interpretation of how many people are using biofeedback devices. If you don't, if you're not really sure how they are using them on a daily basis or, you know, using the data constructively. Yeah, great point, Alexi. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's happening to the younger generation of trained therapists, whether it's physical therapy uh, or in, uh, in the cognitive field, more and more of them are, are being trained in, in this area, which didn't exist even a decade ago. So um, that's going to help quite a bit. Yep, that's a good point. By the way, you mentioned the URAC quite a bit. Uh, I just met a new company that's going to offer a, a smart ring for half the price of the URAC ring. So I can tell you guys about that later. Half the price, half the price. So cheaper and better. Cheaper is this going to be an audio uh, podcast or they're going to see the video too? Everything. Oh, okay. So, I'm not going to do the happy dance. No, but seriously, I think it's the, the guy was, was building this with a big brand. And, I, you know, he's got lots of experience building those types of technologies. So I think they'll do well. Um, I introduced them to uh, Inter Miami, actually, uh, Karam. So, um, but why? why? Like, well, I know, because he asked me. He asked me. So I did it. Okay. So. It's okay, no problem. Messi, yeah. Messi gets everything, no problem. That's okay. We can talk <laughs> out offline. Yeah, um, as, though, as though he needs it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, so before we get to your last question, I wanted to kind of ask you if you could maybe share, without naming somebody in particular, but uh, you know, maybe some stories where you saw a transformation of a player, an athlete, after using biofeedback. Any kind of stories you can share without naming a person in particular, but just. Uh, you know, how biofeedback really helps, uh, you know, a player. Well, let me just kind of share a story. The NHL player is now retired when he was in Vancouver. He jumped all over that whole idea of uh, training um, uh, the heart rate and uh, respiration to be in sync and, and, and kind of at will bring, bring his values down post-game because, you know, you Players are exhausted after a tough game. And first thing he did was kind of run into my facility and get a, get on the relaxation, hook him up to respiration and heart rate. And in a, it was just a 10-minute protocol. And he, he, he swears that it just benefited him immensely. And long after he retired, he'd call me probably once a year and say, because you wouldn't believe what, how it transformed, you know, my, my career, but also my life. And yeah. And then he says, when I went to this new organization in player development, they're saying, we're introducing something new to you. <laughs> and he said, oh. you know, we were doing this stuff 10 years ago. <laughs> That's um, right, yeah. So so I'm just going to give that as one example. Who He really valued it and gave me that information. But another organization thought this was something brand new, but it was 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Um, maybe Karam, Alex, do you guys have any stories yeah, to share? I'll share, uh, I'll, I'll share kind of a, a different story um, in the sense that we, you know, we tracked uh, heart rate variability for a long time. And, you know, one of the things I've learned is that some players are very uh, mentally capable of handling that information and some are not. And some are, are very upfront about that and some are not. So some guys will say, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I can't, you know. They don't want to know that their HRV is up or down on a game day or practice day. They just want to go up there and play. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. obviously totally fine. However, each player wants to do it. But for the players who could handle that information and digest it and, and know that they can 
still play their best game tonight, regardless of what that number says. Um, some of them got pretty in tune with it. And I can think of one athlete in particular who, you know, it was almost a fun game. He would come and he'd do it and he guessed what it was. And he was remarkably close every time. That's so great. It, That's almost great. Got to, it, it almost got to the point where it defeated the purpose. It's like, why are we even testing? You know that you're going to be a little of this today. You know you're going to be a little of that. We need to do more of this or less of that. Like, you know, it, so it almost worked to, to train him initially. And then if he said, I don't want to do this anymore, I'd probably say, okay, sure. Like you, you know, you got a good pulse on, on how you're feeling today. And you're, you know, you're not a hundred percent, but you're close enough that I, if you don't want to do it anymore and you just want to go off your feel and we could chat every day about it, then I'm very comfortable with that. So uh, kind of a cool biofeedback story. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you would Amazing. call that a success or a failure, but a fun, uh, a fun sort of learning process with that athlete in particular. But he mastered it because he kept getting feedback daily and practiced it and then you could you don't you don't need it anymore that's that's the whole idea you you wean yourself off by a feedback yeah so the students become yeah. the master the student become the master yeah <clears throat> that's what me and karam are trying to do with dog z here you know we're just we're just trying to pick up as much as we can from him in this uh in this call because he's certainly the expert on this field so I would just let him talk as much as possible, and uh, yeah. me and Karam can just kind of fade into the background. I'm finished. I agree. Yeah, the only story okay. that stands out to me before you know this 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 whole COVID uh, thing, we had um, one player that was doing his uh, uh, rehab with us. He was injured, and um, we had a, a tendency to check his heart rate variability just so that we we could, you know, sort of establish how how hard were we going to push that day in in the rehab. And, you know, for, for the most part, his HRV was pretty constant. And then he, he comes in one day and we we check his HRV and it and it's super low that that morning. And we're like, oh, is everything OK? Is everything good at home? What's like? what's what's going on you know he's like nothing perfectly fine had a good night's sleep everything is good we're like okay well listen we're we're gonna we're gonna take it easy today like we'll still do the work but you know longer breaks and we're probably gonna shave a couple of exercises off just because of of this number um he does the work everything's fine he actually even pushes he wants he's like can 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 we do uh, can we do a little bit more and i'm and we're like no you know uh, we we want to respect this this value goes home takes a nap wakes up and calls us it was probably like around 5 5 30 he's like excuse my language dude what the fuck man what i'm i'm like what well, what what's going on he's like i'm sick as a dog i am so i woke up i, I it feels like an 18 wheeler hit me and for like four or five days after that, he he had the flu, you know. But HRV was able to yeah. catch on to it in the morning before it happened, you know. And so we were able to sort of sort of tone things down and not like, you know, crash and you know send him to levels where he's crashing and burning. And then on top of that, you know, get sick. So that was a story that really sort of that's stuck that's with me. Wonderful example, yeah, because that, that that that's the great utility of of this technology. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and I and I've read, I think it was a an article about the UR ring again, right? About how they were able to detect 
uh, or have an indication of COVID before it happened, yeah. right? Uh, so it's it's great. Another great example of how to use HIV, right? Um, so to to your point about the the aura ring and and uh, sorry aura ring and, and COVID, yeah. It, I, on myself, the the day the day I got COVID, mm -hmm. the morning I was fine, but my HRV was seventeen. Oh, and I was like, okay, my HRV is never this low. This yeah. is really weird. And at at uh, we had a we had a game that uh, that day, and I I told everybody I'm like I'm I don't know guys I'm feeling kind of a little bit off. Mm -hmm. I uh, I'm gonna wear a mask the whole time. I'm gonna stay away. Uh, during the game, I was even like away from from the players and and whatnot. And then after the game, I just I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna test myself to be sure. And uh, I was positive. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty amazing. Um, Crazy. The last question. The last question, if I may. So, look, we all about technology, uh, you know, at upside, right? So I guess in the world of elite sports, how do you see the world of stress management, biofeedback, evolving in the coming years? Do you think that teams will use more? advanced technologies to enable it maybe more advanced sensors for example with better algorithms uh, for better insights do you think that teams will hire more uh, stress management biofeedback experts how do you think the space is going to evolve that's in the next five years anybody well, my, sense, my sense is is that the technology is driving so much of everything already and yeah. it's going to continue to improve it's going to like you say get cheaper better yeah and and, and and this is going to cross disciplines, so it'll cross between the, the, the physios and the coaching staff and the psychologists. It'll be cross crossing disciplines, and nobody will necessarily have to have ownership of that of that knowledge base, but it'll mm -hmm. all be there to kind of enhance the performance of the athletes. So that's the direction I hope things go, and not have subgroups kind of claiming ownership no i'm the only guy that can do hrv for example uh that that that's my hope anyhow okay that's a great prediction uh karam alexi yeah is there any thoughts on that maybe alexi yeah. driving yeah yeah driving. no sorry yeah. i was I, I, I was gonna let uh i was gonna, I was gonna let karam go there but um yeah, I think it's a difficult question. You know, I think Doc makes a really good point about technology driving uh, everything. And I think the technology is going to keep getting better. But, you know, I think the bigger question is, again, the technology gets very good. But, you know, how can we take that technology into understanding and then into action? You know, particularly in, in professional sports, um, at least, you know, in, in my experience, the schedule is the schedule. You know, players have been complaining for years. There's too many games, too many back-to-backs, you know. And, you know, the, the, if anything, they want to add more games because more games means more revenue. So, you know, within a, within a finite space of professional sports where they just want you to play more, market more, make more money, you know, how do you, how do you fit recovery into a schedule when you're asking them to sleep for five hours and then play a second game in less than 22 hours? You know, like there, there, there's going to be a bit of a gap, I think, between the technology and the realistic nature of the uh, – uh, of the scheduling and the people that are implementing, you know, said technology. So I don't know where the future goes, but I, I think if you look backwards, some of the, some of the much more basic stuff with just breathing and understanding the autonomic nervous system, like, uh, you know, Doc D was doing probably 10, 20 years ago, is still really good quality stuff that could be done. 
and it doesn't need a lot of technology. It's a very simple technique, but you just, you need buy-in and you need understanding and you need to, you know, a really good action plan for implementing it. So as much as technology is likely to lead us, because that just seems what is happening in 2023 and beyond, I think you can still look backwards and, you know, take a step forward in how you implement some of the things we learned 10, 20 years ago. Good point, yeah. Alexi. Yes. Karam, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I echo the same thoughts uh, in a sense where I, I believe that it's um, it's trending upwards. I believe that we uh, it, it's it's starting to make its place in the continuum of uh, you know high performance and uh, sports medicine. Uh, just like uh, I want to say, uh, ten years ago, you know, nobody used to wear a GPS unit. Uh, now, nowadays, it's starting to become like like if you're a team that doesn't have GPS, you're the odd man out. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I, I feel like in a couple of years, this is going to be something that's going to be standard in uh, you know organizations, and and uh, it takes people like. Dr. Leonard, like Alexi, and, and like me to sort of help propel all of this and show the value of the, these types of technologies moving forward so that it gets adopted throughout the leagues. And do you think you'll see more teams uh, being more vocal about it? You'll see more case studies of teams using it? I, I really hope so. I really, really hope so, because that's, that's what's going to allow for us to move forward. I, I was, my hope is that more teams would be willing to share and be transparent and and not keep this as a bloody secret. There are no secrets in pro sports, you know. Like everybody wants to keep it uh, undercover, but it, it, it's pretty hard to do that because uh, you know, word gets out. Yeah, and the people some they like to call it like the secret sauce, right? Yeah. In any sports, but you know when you start, like the first time I heard about biofeedback was like the the mind room from AC Milan, and then people were like, "What is that?" Right, and then the word got out, right? Yeah. So it, it's going to continue to go that way. Um, great. So um, look, we we we're at the end of the the podcast, but um, I want to thank you guys for your time today. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, Thanks for uh, having us, Julian. Yeah. No problem. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research articles and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.